Hello. There we go. I'm uh, deeply appreciative that I was not on, actually, because uh, uh, this morning uh, I was here a few minutes early and was just chatting down here, and I, uh, they decided to play a little joke on me back there and turn me on in the middle of conversation, at which point I was saying, there aren't very many people here this morning. <laughs> so uh, then I was a little nervous they might play another joke and put me on while the singing was happening, and then there really wouldn't be very many people here. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, start this morning by uh, saying that we're looking at the book of uh, Nehemiah this morning. And although uh, our scripture reading is just going to be the first chapter and six verses, uh, the sermon is actually based on the whole of the book of Nehemiah. It's a short book. Um, but uh, a phenomenal one. Uh, and I will tell you, it took me a long time to uh, kind of appreciate Nehemiah, to be honest. Uh, first of all, because it's a small book, and sometimes, you know, you're kind of reading other ones which kind of jump out at you a little bit more. Uh, and then when I finally was taught, I had heard quite a few sermons on this book before, but they all seemed to approach it uh, from a point of what felt like management to me. And so there were a lot of principles that you could learn from this, uh, but I felt like what it was missing uh, was the whole heart uh, and when you really get into this book, that's what you're going to discover is that there is so much vision, uh, so much giving up uh, everything that you know uh, to pursue onward with a vision that God gives you. So we're going to start reading this morning uh, from Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem's broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, with those who love him and who obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We haven't obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon... I will gather them from there 
and I will bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They're your servants and your people that you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Oh Lord, be, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can't be anything except sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. But why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? When will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. One of my favorite Bob Dylan tunes is a song called Girl from the North Country. And whether you can make out what Bob is ever singing sometimes <laughs> depends on which version you listen to, I guess. Uh, the, the essence of the song is remembering a love uh, that he genuinely cared for after all this time away from her. And his friend is going to visit the area, and he asks his friend to check in on her uh, when he passes through or she passes through, and make sure that she's doing okay. And he recalls the things that he loves about her, and he wants to remember her in just that same way. But he realizes that time passes. In our Bible passage this morning, we're seeing a man who gets a report from his brothers, uh, from his brother, from his friends, about the dire state of the area that he grew up in. It's broken down. Uh, a city of rubble, a uh, few of his people uh, that have gone back there uh, live in destitution. Uh, they're beaten down, they're hopeless, and uh, they're, they're like, as Jesus describes in the New Testament, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And Nehemiah is devastated. Have you ever had a place that you have a strong emotional attachment to? Uh, whether it's uh, maybe your family home, um, a, a thriving business once upon a time uh, that is falling apart or uh, on, has fallen on harder times. 
Maybe it's a church that you attended uh, years ago. Maybe it's your high school. Um, you have a strong emotional attachment to it, but it's, it's seen better days. And in fact, uh, when you get back, uh, you just realize how awful it is to see it the way it is. And you just, with everything in you, you just wish that you could do something to address it. You think, I want people to see it the way it was. This, is, this isn't what it is, is it? It's even more difficult for us when it's not a place. It's even more difficult for us when it's a person that we know. Uh, somebody that we love, maybe somebody who was once strong, uh, somebody with a lot of skills, uh, somebody who had, was very witty, super vibrant, someone who was nurturing others all the time. And now we see them. And we see that they're, they're a shell of who we remember them as. And that's even more difficult. Our hearts are so entwined with their hearts. Nehemiah is a book uh, for anybody who's seeking uh, to take that image and to rebuild life somehow, to say that's not all that it is. There's a lot more. Uh, God, God has power over all of this and that we can turn ourselves over to him and see what yet will be. With Nehemiah, he gets the report and he's overcome by that. He feels sick about it. I know one of those things, you know, when something like this happens, it just overcomes us. You know, we start to take, uh, it occupies our mind all the time. It's in our heart. We can't get it out. We lay in bed at night, and it's all we can think about as we're drifting off to sleep. You know, uh, sometimes it's a really great vision, something so powerful you can't get it. You, you know, I'm, I'm stopping because I was about to launch into something here, but do you remember a few years ago we used to watch a video here? I bet we watched it three times a year for a few years, and it was uh, That's My King, uh, The Servant. Right, you know, we watched it a lot back then. Um, and it's one of those things, you know, he says, you know, uh, you can't get it off your mind. You can't get it out of your hands. You know, it, God is just there. Jesus is just there in the middle of all that. And that's how we feel when we get a vision from God. We can't get it off our minds. It just, we start, we start doodling. We start drawing pictures. We start planning it out. You know, we haven't done anything yet, but we, it's just so prominent with us. We feel sick when it's a bad thing and we want it to improve. But once we get a taste of how good it can be, it's just there. Nehemiah has that. And when he gets this report, it says that he takes this and he goes and he prays. And it says he mourned, he wept. The first thing he did, he got the report and he wept. He was so overcome because it mattered so much to him. He, he mourned, uh, he fasted because he wanted an answer. God, bring this about. He prayed, 
And it says that he did this night and day. He mourned, he fasted, he prayed. He did this night and day. And it says, when Nehemiah begins, it says it started on this month. And then as you go along, it says, and at this month I decided I needed to pray to God differently. And we'll get into his prayer in a minute here. Between those two times, Nehemiah mourned and fasted and prayed day and night for four months. How much do we care about a vision? How much are we willing to jump behind it? How much are we willing to say, God, this is from you, and for four months, I'll just think about it night and day, and I'll bring it to you, and I'll call to you, and I'll say, do something, please. It says in verse 11 that Nehemiah was afraid, uh, but not even fear was enough to keep a real vision sent from God away from bringing it up. Nehemiah, in his prayer, this is what he says. Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, he recognizes God is all-powerful, that God can do this. There's not an ounce of doubt in his mind. And he says, you're the great and awesome God. And then he goes on, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He recognizes God's faithfulness. God hasn't abandoned. What he's heard about back in Jerusalem, God has not abandoned that. God is faithful and just. He knows the kind of God he's talking to. He says, let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes open. Hear the prayer of me, your servant, for them, your servants the people of Israel. And then he says, God, we're, we're actually deserving. We're deserving of this. We're deserving that everything is broken down. We are deserving of being distant and separated and spread to the far ends of the earth because we are sinful. We've done wicked things, Uh, we've turned away from you, you've told us what to do, and still we avoid that. Still we pursue everything else but you and but what you have to say. We deserve it. But Nehemiah knows the God he's talking to. And he says, remember your commitment, remember your covenant to us, your promise to us, That if we're unfaithful, yes, you said you'd scatter us, and you did. But you said that if we would return to you, if we would come to you, if we would obey your commands again, that you would gather us from the far parts of the world, that you would gather us from the farthest horizon, it says. So, Lord, be attentive to our prayers. Nehemiah prays, uh, but he realizes that he needs something else. He says, God, only you can fix this. Uh, And it says that he goes, uh, he says, "If, if you will answer this prayer, give me favor with this man. And then the next line tells you who this man is. I was the cupbearer to the king. 
Now, I don't know if you know much about the cupbearer to the king, but the cupbearer is a person, in a, one, they, uh, there's a lot of trust that exists between the king and the cupbearer because the cupbearer is going to taste the wine and make sure that it's not poisoned, make sure that it doesn't taste terrible, and uh, if anything bad happens to them, well, I guess the king won't drink it. <laughs> but there's not, maybe, and when, when the king trusts you, there's a lot of job security in that. But you are still a servant. And it's not like today where we have, we have, we read about the English monarchy, you know. We, we read about, you know, there's a certain kind of protocol uh, between kings and queens and their servants, you know. Uh, but in this time, it's like if you get on the bad side of your king or queen, you are in big trouble, you know. It's like off with their heads type, type of things, you know. And so, so Nehemiah comes and he says, you know, uh, I'm the cupbearer to the king. There is a level of trust there. But you just don't ask the king for things like this. And so it says that he's afraid. Um, but the king can see it. He wears it on his face. So he's asked God for, he says, God, give me favor with this man. And so the king sees it on his face when he brings in the wine. And uh, the king says, what, what's wrong with you? He said, uh, I can tell from your face. You've got a broken heart about something here. And uh, Nehemiah says, why wouldn't I? And he lays out the case. And the king kind of pushes it a little further. And he says, well, what is it that you want? Whoa, okay, it's great. You've come, you have a sad face. What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you want? And Nehemiah says he was afraid, and he just prayed. And then he says, give me everything I need, basically, to, to see uh, my city rebuilt, to see my people gathered together, you know? Um, and the king grants him his favor. God is faithful. Uh, so we move into how Nehemiah after prayer, after acting on the prayer, what does Nehemiah do to address the issue? Well, he, first of all, he goes and he travels around and he sees the damage for himself. And it's important for us to look at our own, to look at our own lives, to look at our own families, to look at our own churches, to look at our own communities, and to say, what's, what's really broken here? What, what needs to happen? You know, we need to go in. We need to take assessment. And this is what Nehemiah does. Then uh, it says that he, he goes around, he assesses, and then he comes back and he says, you know what, people? God is with us. God wants this to happen. God pulled this together. And then, it said, and then just because people can say God tells them stuff all the time, Nehemiah also says, you want some evidence? Take a look at what the king's done for us. The king has given us resources. The king has given us people. Uh, the king has given us letters so that we can travel freely through all these hostile areas. You know, that doesn't just happen. God did this. 
So the people begin to get a little bit of an idea, and it says on their, it says that they all set to do the work. And some of the, some of the people around start to be critical. Not, not the people doing the work, but the people, the leaders surrounding them, start to become critical. And they start to make fun of them. They, they mock them initially. They say, you know what, look at this. You know, you think you're going to build this? You know, and we can look at the same thing we can say about Emmanuel Baptist. You know, it's like, you know, people have all kinds of ideas. What's Emmanuel Baptist really? You know, they can take a look at our lives. They say, what is that? What are you doing? What's going on there? The truth is, is that people will be critical. They don't have to understand but we need to know that our vision comes from God and that we will pursue that wholeheartedly. And that's what Nehemiah does. So the criticism begins to happen and they start to say, you guys actually think you're going to build something over there? Do you really think you can turn some things at Emmanuel Baptist around? Do you really think that what's happening in your life can be fixed easily? Why are you even bothering? Why are you even bothering? Nehemiah addresses the criticism and he says, you know what we need to do, people? We just need to get down to work. And it says that the people's hearts were so in it. And ask yourself, are our hearts in this? Are our hearts here for God every week? Is this what we're pushing ourselves for? Are we seeking his presence active in our midst every week? Are we completely giving ourselves to him? And it says that the people's hearts were so in it that it said they built the wall halfway up uh, in the first day. And you think, how can you build a whole wall around a city in a day? But it says that everybody had such a vision for this. They said, yes, yes, God's doing a great thing with us. We'll do it. The next thing, however, is that after putting out all this effort, the people get tired, and more criticism comes. And so Nehemiah is faced with looking at his people who've given it their all, and now are saying, like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can keep going. Um, complaints start to come in. And, uh, and then the people who are offering the criticism are also making rumors. They're going to attack this wall. They're going to knock it down. They're going to defeat uh, all the workers. They're going to take, take all that's been accomplished so far and make it nothing again. Nehemiah has to go in and he has to address this. And he has to say, first of all, that's not true. Some of this stuff isn't even right. They're lying to you. And then in other cases, he's saying, but you know what? In case these rumors of attacks are true, here's what we're going to do. And he takes the same goal, he takes the same purpose, but he says, let's adjust our strategy a little bit. And so he says, we're going to take the people who still want to drive, who still want to build this wall, who still want to build the city, who still want to restore God's people, and we're going to work hard. We're still going to drive it. But for those who are tired, for those who need a break, for those who say, I can't do this anymore, what we need are we need some people to guard our work too. We need some people to watch over it and to protect it. And it says that he had everybody doing one or the other. Um, 
Nehemiah ends up building the wall with the people. And it says the first thing that they did after they built this wall was that he just, he got the priests together. He got the Levites, which were like the, the teachers and the servants full time uh, within the kingdom of God. And he says, you know what? We need a worship service. We need to thank God. Look at what's happened. And we need to take a look. And we need to say, what has God built here? What has God built here? Let's celebrate that. Let's get behind that. Let's say, God, you know, you have seen us through, and we are moving into a good space and a good place. And we need to draw together, and we need to say, praise be to God. It says that they loved it so much. It says that that's, that became their driving force. Uh, they pulled everybody together. They had all this singing. They had all kinds of teaching. It says that people were so hungry and so on fire for God. It says that they had teaching that started first thing in the morning, and it went right until lunchtime. They're just reading the scriptures together. Right, right, Greg, exactly. Uh, it said that people were so hungry, and people were so uh, uh, driven for this. It says that the Levites came, and everything that the priest was reading, the Levites, uh, you know, a whole lot of people in the, in the group, all gathered around, and it says they started explaining what the priest was reading, started teaching them. And so, you know, I can come up here every, I, I was going to say every Sunday morning, not very likely. Anyway, uh, I can come up here and I can tell you things. I, I can try and read the word with you, but honestly, there are a lot of fantastic people who love the word of God in this congregation, and we need you. We need you to be explaining to the people beside you what that means. You know, we love that story in the New Testament of Philip and the Ethiopian, right? The Ethiopian's reading the scriptures, and Philip shows up, and he says, and the Ethiopian says, what on earth does this mean? And Philip explains it, and then God whisks them away, you know? We need people who will do that. You don't need to be a pastor or a preacher. You just need to share what you know about God's faithfulness from his word. Um, I'm getting carried away, so, <laughs> uh, so I'll skip a little bit here of what I've got. But God also tells us that when we start to see these great successes happen, don't sit on your heels. Don't say, you know what? We've got it all together. This is fantastic. God's done a great thing. Oh, and by the way, Pastor Michael's here next week. Maybe we'll just take it easy. Now we've got a pastor. You know, that is not what God's calling us to do. And Nehemiah says this to the people. Um, it says that, it says that after all of this building and all of this celebrating and all this worshiping takes place, uh, they kind of said, okay, you know what? We've, we've had this great, we've built the walls, uh, but now there's no place for people to live. I guess we better build some houses in here too. And so it says they begin the infrastructure. They build the, they build the different uh, parts within the walls so that people can come. And then it says they start pulling people from all over the place to come back. Uh, they get back, 
And uh, Nehemiah says, okay, now my job's done. So now I want you to think back. Remember the king's initial question? He says, well, how long are you going to be? You know, how long until you get back here? And it says, Nehemiah gave him a time. Well, the length of time it actually took Nehemiah to return was 12 years. That's a long time to not have somebody testing your wine beforehand. <laughs> All right? Uh, so, uh, but when Nehemiah returns, the king says, you know what? You've done a great job. And the job you've had for the last 12 years, that's the job you're going to keep. You're the governor of Jerusalem. Um, so, so Nehemiah comes back. But then it says he decides after some time being back, he's going to go check. He's going to go check on what's been built. He's going to see how it's all going and how people are loving the Lord and, and moving ahead. And uh, the place is going to be fantastic, right? Uh, but no, he gets back and he discovers that what God's built has not been shepherded well. And he put people that he trusted in place. It says they were people of integrity. But there were other people too. And uh, anyway, Nehemiah has to return and he has to clean house. One of the people who was the biggest critic uh, was a man named Tobiah, the Ammonite. And it says that when Nehemiah returned, this guy, not only was he a critic, not only did he mock everything that was happening, but he was also one of the people saying, let's get this Nehemiah guy out of here. Let's kill him. Uh, let's take the workers. Let's attack them. You know, this is the kind of guy he was. And when he returns, the Ammonites uh, have been kind of sent out. Oh, you're not allowed to be part of Jerusalem. But not this guy, because he's very well connected. He's friends with the priests. He's friends with the leaders. He's friends with the nobles. Anybody that had power and influence before has somehow stayed connected with him. And so even though everybody else is sent away, this guy is allowed to come and have an apartment in the temple. And Nehemiah says, what is going on here? This isn't the condition I left you in. This doesn't honor God. Why are you partners with people who hate you? And it says, Nehemiah does something that reminds me an awful lot of Jesus. He comes in, and he walks in, and this is the temple, right? What does Jesus do in the temple? Well, he does a lot of things in the temple. Okay, <laughs> all right, that's kind of a trick question, I guess. But anyway, uh, Jesus comes into the temple, right? And he sees all, uh, you know, all of the people selling and buying, and it says he's overcome with devotion for God's house. And he says, this will not happen. And he just wrecks, just wrecks. It turns over the tables, drives people out. And it says that Nehemiah goes in and he goes, what's this? And he takes all Tobiah's stuff from the room and he throws it out. <laughs> and it says that he, he grabs it and he just drives it out of the room. And then he also discovers that not only that, but it's this on the Sabbaths, They've got people bringing their shops right in. Who else does this remind you of, right? Right. And so he says, get out. Get out. I'm going to tip this over yet. Um, so Nehemiah and the leaders had to teach them what it means to be fully committed to God. Um, 
I'm going to finish uh, just because I... I am getting carried away, and I don't want this just to be, I don't want this just to be a history lesson about Nehemiah. That is not why I'm here. Um, you know, uh, I wish I could remember who said the quote. Uh, I think it was Spurgeon who said, you know, uh, God didn't give us the wor- his word to increase our knowledge. He gave it to change lives. And I feel like if all you get from me is a history lesson, we're missing out. So I have a few questions for us as Emmanuel Baptist Church. What has God laid on our hearts here? You know, do we ever ask that question? What, is, what drives us so much to our knees? What are we so overcome by as a vision for this church? What are we sick about? What do we write notes about as we go along our day? What is it that we dream about? And then I also want you to ask the question when you're asking about vision, is this just something I want? Because we can mix those two things up pretty quickly too. Is this just something that I want? Or am I certain in my heart of hearts that this is what God is after? Second question, what are we afraid of? Says that Nehemiah spent four months praying about this, seeking God's mind. And it says he was still afraid. He was afraid of the king's response. That's one of the things that he, even at the very end, his final prayer, the long one that we read in that passage, says uh, that he prayed at the end, please give me favor with the king. That was his final prayer that we have recorded there. And then it says, when the king says, what is it that you want? He says, I prayed again. And he was afraid. What are we afraid of? What's the reason that we don't pursue a vision? What do we need uh, to do? What do we need to bring about? Uh, What is, who do we need to approach to partner with us, to get over that fear and to progress? Um. Another question for you. Who are the people who are the naysayers in your life? Who are, the, who are the voices that tell you that it can't be done? Who are the people that we need to stop listening to? Um, Nehemiah had a chorus of people offering that. Um, If we continue to listen to people who are always going to be critical, we will never move anywhere. We'll start, we'll get two steps forward, and then we'll take three steps back. God doesn't want you to live in fear. The scriptures tell us uh, that God hasn't given us a spirit, spirit of fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love. Who are the naysayers, and how do we cancel out those voices? Here's a question for us. We talk an awful lot about spiritual gifts in the church. And people can say, oh, I wish I could lead worship. Oh, I wish I were a good Bible teacher. Oh, I wish I had whatever gifts. List them all. You know which ones you wish you had. Guess what? There are some 
powerful, powerful gifts that people have that aren't dramatic like that. I want to ask you, who are the people in this congregation who have a spirit of encouragement, a gift of encouragement? I want people who will encourage the troops. There are people here every week who just want a word in their life. Someone to lift them up. Someone to raise them up. Someone to show them that there is hope in this gospel that we preach here every week. Somebody to show them that they are cared for, that they're loved, that they matter, that God has blessed them and is drawing them into something more. Who are the people who are going to offer that word? We need those people. In this case, without a word of encouragement, the whole wall never gets built. And in this case, without words of encouragement on a regular basis, this church never gets built. We need you. Finally, how are we doing at not sitting on our heels? Are we waiting for Pastor Michael to come and fix us? I hope not. I hope not. Are we just sitting back and saying, well, you know what? Let some other people do some work now and again. It says that the people worked with all their heart and they kept going and going and going until it was done. And if they couldn't keep going in that, then they helped in a different way. You know, Are we coasting on a, rela- on a reputation that we once had? Are we looking and saying, God, do something new and great and beautiful? Hmm. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love this church. I love the, love the people who are here each week. Father, I want to see I want to see people uh, brought to their knees before you, and I pray that you do bring them before you on their knees. I pray, Lord, that you would listen to our words, that you would give a, give us a vision, something that matters, something that will far outlast us, something that will carry on to another generation. Father, I I pray that um, you would be in our midst, that you would raise up people, uh, that you would take us out of comfortable places or places where we haven't done much, and that you would move us to use all of our gifts, to use all of the abilities that you've given us, to use all the powers, to use all of the faith that you've given us, and that we would use it for your kingdom so that this whole town, this whole province, this whole country, as the influence spreads out, would give you praise. Bring your glory, uh, Father, in our midst. Give us hearts of worship. Give us a desire to serve and to lift our brothers and sisters when they're tired. Uh, When they're Uh, when they're abused. 
when they've been criticized and torn apart. Father, uh, give, us the, give us the heart to lift them up. Father, we want to give up what we knew before, what was dead. We want to uh, continue singing your praises and singing that we're, we've run out of the grave and we want to give evidence in our lives. Bless us, we pray, as we go about our business today and about your business especially. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, just as we wrap up, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you his peace. Amen.